Hey, good morning. Good morning, yeah. Hey, if you're new here, just want to welcome you to church. Uh, my name is Joe Polino, and I have the joy of getting to serve as the lead pastor here among just an awesome team and an awesome church. Uh, so, so thankful uh, just to be in the presence of God this morning with you. Man, well, hey, uh, before we jump into the scripture, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my week. So last week, uh, we got to celebrate our youngest son, Bo's birthday. So our youngest son, Bo, just turned one. I think we have a, a picture of Bo, maybe. He's very cute. Uh, and, um, and that was significant for us. Uh, obviously his birthday, but uh, he also got to move to the nursery today. So normally he's on the front row with my wife, giving vocal feedback for sermons or whoever's teaching. So I might need a little bit more participation this morning from you guys. Um, hopefully they have enough snacks back there to keep him happy. Um, thank you, early childhood kids helpers, uh, which if you're on our kids team, can, we can you raise your hand? Can we just clap for you? Come on. Have an awesome kids team. I see you, Kevin. There you go. Um, but this past week, as we were celebrating Bo's first birthday, uh, we, uh, as they were put down to bed, my wife and I were on the couch just looking at pictures of his birth story and just recalling just sweet memories. And, uh, and one of the significant things about Bo is that uh, he, we, we were pregnant with Bo right after we had a miscarriage uh, before that. And so when we were pregnant with Bo, um, we were still healing and grieving from that surprise of that miscarriage. And, and in that, you can imagine with getting pregnant again, you just have that normal fear of, okay, like we're excited, but we're also hesitant at the same time. Will this happen again? And so as with, uh, you know, the only thing that we know to do and the right thing to do is to press into the Lord and community and just say, okay, Lord, like we're going to entrust this life to you. And as we did, and as we uh, just shared that with our, with our community, with our life group and family, we felt like the Lord said that this, this prayer uh, over this baby was that he would live. Uh, he is to live. And so Bo actually means, one of the meanings of the name is to live. And so we were just remembering the significance of here he is a year later, alive, and, and still praying that prayer that he would live, not just physically, but spiritually, he would be made alive in Christ. And so we were just thinking about that. And I just want you to imagine with me to set up what I'm about to preach on. Imagine with me, though, if Amy and I, uh, we just celebrated Bo coming into the world. And so we're at the hospital, and I look at my wife, and I say, honey, you are amazing. I can't believe you just did that. You're like a beautiful Navy SEAL. I can't believe you just pushed through. That was incredible. And so we celebrate, we cherish the baby, but then the next day, we go home and we leave the baby at the hospital. We leave Bo at the hospital. And, uh, and we say, wow, we did our job. We gave you life, little guy. Best of luck. Like, everything in me as a father screams no. Like, that is wrong and that's absurd, right? And, and you know, I think we can see that that doesn't really make sense is that as a parent, you would only be concerned about the birth of your child and not the days after it. But what I want to put before us is that sometimes in the church, we can do the same thing with new believers. 
Sometimes in the church, we can emphasize coming to faith in Jesus and being baptized as the end goal. And we want to celebrate that. Just like as we were scrolling through pictures and we're retelling the birth story, man, we want to celebrate those testimonies of when we came to Christ because there's power in it. But if that's the end goal, then we're missing it because that's not the end. It's actually the beginning of a journey with Jesus. And so what we've been doing is that this year we've been going through the book of Ephesians and the first three chapters mainly focus on, okay, identity in Christ. It focuses on how we came, how we were created in Christ. It says that we were spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins, but by grace through faith, we have been made alive in Christ. It says in Ephesians 2. And so we've been praying this prayer, God, would you make us one with you? Would you make us one with one another so the world would see who Jesus is? And so the first three chapters largely have to do with salvation. They have to do with identity. But Ephesians doesn't end after chapter 3. It's only halfway there. And so as we're going through Ephesians 4, I just want to say that, yes, God has made us new creations in Christ, but now there is a cooperation with the Holy Spirit he's calling us to walk in together. So we are new creations if we are uh, followers of Jesus and believe in him, but there's also a cooperation that he is calling us to. Are you guys following me? Okay. So we're going to lean into this today. And as I was uh, just praying for this talk, I just felt like uh, this is a tr- like a realignment Sunday. In fact, that was something that the worship team this morning said that in their prayer time, they just felt like the Lord put forward is that there's a realignment for, you know, you might know in your head that you are a child of God and you're loved, but sometimes in the day to day, you feel like an orphan. You feel kind of like, God, you kind of left me at the hospital. I have to figure things out on my own. And I just feel like the Lord wants to realign us with the truth today and help us to walk forward together and say, that's not true. In fact, he's inviting us on a lifelong journey where he is with us. We're going to walk with them and he is going to shape us in the image of his son and send us out on mission. Okay. So that's where we're going today. Uh, If you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4, we're going to start in verse 22. Uh, It'll be up on the screens and also there's Bibles on the baskets in front of you uh, as well. So Ephesians 4, and here's where we're going today. We are going to learn to walk the way of Christ together in the areas of honesty, of anger, and of work. Sounds like, do you have my job? Like, that sounds like my, my work experience. Learning to walk the way of Christ together in honesty, anger, and in work. So let's dig into the scripture together. So Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, 
that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. So Father, I pray, God, for all of us here, God, that God, you would get me out of the way and you would let the Holy Spirit just highlight, God, what you have for our church today, what you have for individuals today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so just to recap, today we're not going to go through all of the examples uh, we just read here, but we're going to hit on three. We're going to learn to walk in the way of Jesus together in the areas of honesty in relation to anger and in work, okay? And the way that he talks about, okay, how do we practically walk this out is he uses language of putting off and then putting on, putting off and then putting on. And the image uh, that is used is laying aside a set of clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. And if you think about it, it makes sense that whenever we uh, dress for an occasion, we dress to fit that occasion. So what you wear you know, to the beach is going to be different than what you wear to a formal wedding. And in what you wear uh, also uh, it signifies a role or a place that uh, you, you might hold in a certain job or organization. For example, uh, after you go through uh, military boot camp, you are given a uniform because you are, uh, you are now a part of, uh, you have finished basic training and you are in the military. If you uh, are a doctor, that white coat, right, signifies that there is something different about you. And so what, he's, what they're saying here is that in, in so many ways, we need to put off the old self, the old clothes, do a closet clean out of our lives. It's gonna affect our lives. And this is a repeated pattern of I'm gonna put off this old garment, I'm gonna put on who I am in Christ today, okay? And he goes through practically giving illustrations of what this could look like in different areas of our lives. And uh, the first one that he comes to is I'm titling honesty. So let's look at verse 25 and look at how we put off and put on when it comes to being truthful. Verse 25 says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Okay, so let's dig into this verse here. It says, therefore, each of you must put, falsehood, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. When it says, therefore, let's look at what is it pointing to? Uh, or as Donnie likes to joke, what is, what is there for? What is there for? Little dad joke. So what does this mean? Uh, well, first, if you look back up at verse 22, let's read it again. This is what the therefore is talking about. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put off the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. 
I just want to point out one thing real quick. I didn't underline it, but on the slide, the very first three words, it says that you were taught. You were taught. And so this putting off and putting on is something that you need to learn. And so if you're feeling frustrated in your walk with Jesus, or you're feeling that orphan, like, man, I feel like I don't have this figured out. It's a learning process, okay? So the Bible says that we need to learn this, that we were taught But then it says it goes down to put off the old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. So I just want to talk about what does that mean? Deceitful desires. What what happens when we are deceived? When someone deceives you, they're causing you to believe a lie, normally so that they could receive some sort of benefit. You think it's true, but it's not. And what they're saying is the old self, the old way of living is corrupted by deceitful desires. So you might think that you're living in a way that's good and right, but it's full of lies. It's full of deceitful desires. Uh, It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite movies is the movie Inception. And in Inception, the whole plot line, most of the movie takes place while they're dreaming. And then at the end, you don't know if am I awake? Am I asleep? Like, what's happening here? What's, what's going on? And that's what they're saying is that the old way is that you were sleepwalking and in the new way, wake up to the truth, to the reality in Jesus. It says in Ephesians 5, 14, it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So what he's saying is, hey, children of the light, wake up. The old way is full of deceit. And, uh, and this is a big deal because if we read in the Bible, deceit is actually the essence of evil. I'm going to say that again. It's not just a little white lie, a little embellishment. If you look in scripture, deceit is the very essence of evil. So let's look in, in Genesis 3, when Satan tempted Eve, he used deceit to cause the fall of mankind. It says in Genesis 1, Uh, or sorry, Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And then Satan, the serpent says again, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan deceived Adam and Eve in these ways. He said the consequences of sin would not happen. You will certainly not die, but they did. Did they die physically immediately? No, but they died spiritually immediately and then physically later. So he lied there. And then he said, God was lying. God's holding out because he knows when you eat of it, you will be like God. And really, that's deceitful too because they're already made in the image of God. They're walking in intimacy with God. There's nothing more that God is giving to them. And in fact, the fact that the tree is in the middle of the garden is that he's giving them freedom to choose him or or not. I mean, it's complete deceit. And Jesus says this about Satan in John 8, verse 44. He was talking to uh, a crowd and he says, you belong to the father, to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the old self is, is described by this deceit, and deceit is the essence of evil. Okay, enough of the devil. Let's contrast who God is. So in contrast, God is repeatedly described as truth. He is repeatedly described as truth in his nature. It is impossible for him to lie. It says in James 1.17 that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. I just love that passage, this picture of the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes downstream from his hand, and there's no variation or shifting shadow in who he is. And then Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we're going to walk in the way of Jesus, we have to have our radar up for any kind of falsehood that we're walking with. Amen? It's really important. Okay? And it says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of of one body. So each of us. So yes, we're going to talk about collectively what this is, but it's, it's a responsibility for each of us. And this falsehood, what is falsehood? You know, falsehood is more than just, you know, oh, I said something that was untrue or I exaggerated. Falsehood pierces much deeper than that. Um, I love what uh, Tim Keller says. It says, the gospel gives us the ability to put off falsehood by being honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with one another. So you think about how much deeper can you get? You're honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with others. Like falsehood is much more than just, hey, don't, you know, don't embellish or don't tell a lie. Yes, we know that, but this is more like deep in our soul and our hearts and our minds. Are we being honest with God? Because if you remember in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve took the, took the fruit, God, they, they, they hid. They hid from God. And so the reverse of walking with God in, in Christ is that we don't need to hide from God anymore. We don't need to hide from him anymore. You know, it's, it, we can be honest with God. And the reason we can be honest with God, and here's the thing with honesty. Dishonesty is a shield to protect us. Because when we're honest, we're exposed and vulnerable to rejection, to, man, so-and-so's not going to like me, or if this is exposed, I would, you know, fill in the blank. But God already knows all that. But here's the blow away. God himself made himself vulnerable so that we could be vulnerable. Think about that. He sent Jesus on the earth to live just like we did, be tempted in every way, yet he was without sin, and he made himself vulnerable on the cross. They didn't, they didn't put him on the cross. He put himself on the cross. He made himself vulnerable so that by his wounds, we may be healed. So by his wounds, we can be vulnerable too. Because if he is our judge, then we're free to be honest with him. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So, and, and, uh, and the wrath, like what we deserve, the punishment we deserve was poured out on Jesus. So we can come to him unhindered. 
We can be honest with God. We can be honest with ourselves. You know, if you, uh, man, just, I would say probably regularly for me, I will have a thought of discouragement or worry about, man, I'm not far enough along in fill in the blank. Whether it's worry, whether it's, you know, I should know more or be a better leader or be a better husband or be a better parent. Those things are what I need to weed out on the daily. So I don't know if anyone else experiences that, but I do. But if you're honest with yourself, you can say, okay, you know what? I do struggle with insecurity or I do struggle with this relationship or trusting you in this way, but that's okay. I can be honest with that because Jesus has already dealt with that part of my life and he's the one who's working on me. And so I can be honest about this is where, you know, I need to press into God. I need to cooperate with the spirit's work in my life. You know, in, in, in AA or the 12 steps, what's the, what's the first step? of the 12 and the hardest one. It's, an, it's acknowledgement that you need, that you have an issue and you need help. You need to take steps. And this is freedom to put off falsehood that we can actually say, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that. But, but by God's grace, it's getting better and better. You know, and so that's, that's just so encouraging to me. And then here's where the rubber meets the road. We can be honest with others. When we have security in our gospel identity, it becomes normal to repent and not a shameful thing. Okay. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, repentance is not a shameful thing. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Repentance is not a shameful thing. It's not guys. It's not a shameful thing. You know, going to someone and saying, I was wrong for being harsh with you. That was not loving. I have to do this with my kids. Daddy was harsh with you. I'm sorry for raising my voice. Please forgive me. You know, that that is not a shameful thing. That is beautiful. That is putting off falsehood and speaking the truth, you know? Or going to someone and saying something that's not about you, but it's about them because you care about them. You know, just an example is say, yeah, I genuinely, I genuinely care about you and our friendship, but I've noticed a pattern of you uh, saying that you can do certain things or be here at a certain time, but I've noticed that you, you either cancel or you don't. And so, you know, that's not, I, I, you're, you're still my friend. I love you, but like it is eroding trust. And I find myself not believing that you're actually going to be there. You know, that, that, is the, uh, that is the opportunity to speak the truth in love, right? You know, or, um, you know, this, this, this can play out in, in so many different ways. You know, I, I had an experience where I was uh, a roommate in, um, in Waco after I was out of college. You know, I was in a, a relationship where he just noticed there was a pattern of things where, man, I'm, I'm staying up really late on the phone and I seem to be discouraged and I'm confused. And he just noticed I was down a lot and he just said, you know, I, I've wanted to check, like, are you okay? Like, I wanted to speak truth. And I actually think, and he, and he gave me some things, some examples of, I don't think you're walking in wisdom here. And I look back at that time and we weren't really close as roommates, but something shifted where I feel a bond to this guy where we're still in friendship, you know, today, uh, his name's Micah, where I'm like, I trust this guy because he went out of his way to speak the truth to me. And, you know, falsehood is not just, 
you know, uh, telling a lie, it's also when we see something and we don't step in. You know, if you, if you witness a crime and you see someone who is innocent get charged and you know they're innocent, if you don't say anything, are you being truthful? No, like you guys step in. You guys following me? Okay. So this matters. But I will say that being honest and not telling a lie is not um, original to Christian teaching. In fact, if you were to look at pretty much every religion or philosophy, they're going to say this because it's very apparent that if, if lying is prevalent, relationships will get destroyed, families will get fragmented, organizations cannot exist, you know, our economy, nation, like if there's deceit happening, it will basically erode everything. So, so anyone can see that. So what makes this teaching unique to walking with Christ? And I think it's this. In each of these phrases, he says, put off this, put off falsehood, put on speaking the truth, but then he gives the why. Why do we do that? So let's look again at verse 25. It says the why we do this, why we speak truth to our neighbor is because we are all members of one body. It comes from a place of identity, not just an, an individual that I am in Christ, Joe Polino, but this, this community identity of like, I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of the body. And so if I'm not speaking truth, then I'm not actually loving Christ. I'm not loving Christ's body. I'm not loving his family, right? So practically, this will shape the way we speak truth. Because in this room, and I, I just, it's so funny to me that uh, there are some people who are truth speakers and they pride themselves on it. And so they're just like, yes. Like I've just been waiting for this scripture uh, because they, they really, you know, that they're inclined to speak truth. And there's other people where it might be a little bit of a stretch for them to enter in and say some things that could be uncomfortable. There's a, a graph here uh, from a ministry called Peacemakers. Uh, if you want to put that up, uh, I think it might be uh, well, it'll, it'll be up in a second, but what, there it is. So this is from a peacemaker's ministry and it has on one side responses that are more the fight or attack sponsor, responses. So fi think fi fight or flight. So the red side is that if you're inclined to be more of a peace breaker, you're going to be a truth teller to a fault and be inclined to, uh, to do it that way. On the other end of the spectrum, or the slippery slope in this example, you can be a peace faker. So you're more prone to flee and to hide and to, I uh, just, you know, the, I don't want to have that conversation or I don't know what to do with that. And for us, we want to walk in the middle and be peacemakers, okay? Be peacemakers. And so the way that, uh, the way that we walk out um, speaking the truth in love is that we want to build up one another according to their needs, which we're going to talk about next week in more depth. But I just want to say, like, man, let's, let's be peacemakers together and put off falsehood, because you can be false and be, like, prideful in your truth-telling, but are you actually telling truth to build someone up because they're members of the body is where I would challenge you. 
And then I would say if you're more of the escape response, which I'm going to share an example of how I tend to go that way, um, then I just encourage you like, to lean in and to love your brother and sister in Christ by taking the chance. It'll pay off. Uh, a story of this, um, when my wife and I were uh, newlyweds, uh, man, we were just in the honeymoon phase, first year of marriage, and both working and we had our weekends off. But we found that Saturday was the day that was actually the hardest for us to do together because we both wanted to spend our free days differently, okay? So I'm more of a person that on my free day, I want to sleep in as long as I want, and then I'll get up and I'll kind of do things. Amy is like, when, uh, when morning comes, she like shoots out of bed, her tank is full and she's ready to go. And she's like, let's get all of our tasks done so we can rest on the back end of the day. That is completely opposite from how I refuel. And so I was experiencing, okay, well, I'm trying to be a good husband, so let's do Saturday your way. And so we did Saturday her way for about a month and I just find myself suppressing anger that was within me because I was, uh, I felt like I was bending and bending and bending. And I was like, oh, and then uh, I don't know what caused it to come to light, but it was towards the end of the day. And it was another Saturday where I was coming to the end and I was frustrated and I was angry and, uh, and it came out and it was almost like something I said, like, I'm always doing what you want to do. Why don't you do what I want to do? And she said, what? What are you talking about? And what I realized is that my falsehood was revealed because I had never verbalized any of this to her. And so what ensued was, well, what else are you not telling me the truth about? Did you marry me to be nice? Do you even love me? And it just kind of went on from there. It was like there was there was, a, uh, there was a very heated discussion where I'm like, I can't believe you would say that. Like, of course I love you. All, you know, and just kind of go down the toilet bowl of like going round and round. And, uh, you know, I, that, that's where we were. And I realized in that I was a learning experience for me that I was not being like, anger is not a bad emotion. I, I, we're about to get to that. Um, but I, but it, it reveals something in us. And we get, I got, got a in healthy ways, be able to communicate, hey, something is, is, is going on inside that I need to communicate to you assertively in a loving way before it kind of builds up and blows up. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so we'll, I'll continue that story in a second about how it resolves because it has to do with our next point, which is anger. Anger. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Okay? As it says in verse 26. Okay. In your anger, do not sin. He's quoting Psalm 4, verse 4, uh, when he says, in your anger, do not sin. And another version of it says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and sin not. So I just want to point out here, which means if they're saying be angry and do not sin, it is possible to be angry and not sin. So anger in and of itself is not a sin. And in fact, God is, is described as slow to anger, 
often in the Bible. It says he was slow to anger, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance in, in 2 Peter 3, 9. But he's also saying, but when you are angry, it is a unique emotion where sin is crouching at the door right there. He doesn't say, you know, be, be peaceful and do not sin. He doesn't say be joyful and do not sin. He says be angry and do not sin. There's a reason. Because there is a very fine line between anger that is righteous and anger that is sinful. So let's dig into that. Okay? So what is anger? Anger is an emotion and an energy released to protect something you care about and attack wrongs to make them right. So that's what it is. Anger is an emotion and energy released to protect something you care about and attack wrongs and make them right. So it's a very powerful thing, and it's like, like a fire. You know, it can bring warmth, or it can bring, uh, it can fuel uh, an engine. It can bring power to a situation. But if it gets out of control, it can burn the whole house down, you know? And so that's what anger is. That's what it's saying, be angry, but do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold when it comes to anger, Okay. So when is our anger sinful? Let's answer that question. What does sinful anger look like? Our anger is sinful when we use it to protect our pride or protect ourselves in a selfish way. Okay? So here, here's James 1, 19 through 20. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So let me give you an example of this for my life. So if I am angry at my kids because I was looking forward to a peaceful Sabbath meal and they are blocking that goal and anger wells up in me, it's fine for me to be angry. But if I am harsh with them, that's sinful anger. Why? Because it's about protecting my comfort or my expectations. Does that make sense? Okay. It's not righteous. I need to deal with it. But if, I, if it gets to the point of being harsh with my kids, you know, I'm, I need to check my expectations and discipline them accordingly. Okay. So that's a common example for me in my house. So what does righteous anger look like? Well, let's look at Jesus in Mark 3 where it says that he was angry. In Mark 3, it said that he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But the Pharisees, they, they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So what was Jesus angry about? He was angry because the character of God and the law of the Sabbath, which was meant to be holy to God and a gift was being twisted as an instrument of punishment for this man. And they didn't have any compassion, but he was grieved. And there's anger in that because that is wrong. That's wrong. That's evil. That's unjust. And so that kind of anger is righteous, right? That kind of anger is righteous. And so just going back to what could that look like for us? 
You know, if my kids are in a habit of lying to me consistently, if my, if my anger in that comes from not because it inconveniences me or because it, you know, fill in the blank, but because I genuinely care for them, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be stern with them. I'm going to say that is not allowed because that will destroy you and destroy our relationship and destroy our family. Like, and to really go in on that and, and, and to not shrink back from that kind of righteous anger. Like that's, that's good. You need that. You need that accountability. Okay. Are those examples helpful? Okay. So we're going to keep going. Okay. So we want to be angry and not sin. So anger is not sinful in and of itself, but what does it say for us to do with, with anger? It says to put off holding on to anger and bitterness and to put on holding short accounts, keeping short accounts with people. Because when we do, we shut the door to the devil. Anger is one of those uh, in bitterness. It says in Hebrews that be careful that you are not angry or you are not, uh, you don't let the root of bitterness come up to defile many it's one of those, if he gets a foothold in, he can open the door up to other types of destruction. And so we just don't want to do that as the body of Christ. And so how do you actually live this out? Do you actually stay up all night before you are resolved in your argument? Or you can go the other way. And if you are angry with someone, you're like, oh, I've got till 7.15 to actually have this conversation because the sun's not set yet. I don't think that's what he's saying. I know that there are some couples and some people and some, they, they live by this principle, um, but the, the, or they live by the strictness of, okay, if the sun goes down, we can't do that. But the principle is we want to keep short accounts because if we let anger sit in us, it's going to eat us alive and give the devil a foothold, you know? So that's the big idea. Be aware. So back to the argument that my wife and I had where we were arguing over Saturdays and it was revealed that for a month we were doing things where she thought we were having a great time and I was miserable. Uh, and then she questioned everything about our relationship. So in that situation, so it's escalating. We're in the toilet bowl of conversation where we're just not hearing each other. And so what do we do? In that situation, uh, I often will go looking for a pile of laundry I hate laundry, but when I am frustrated and I need to calm down, it is, it is the one thing that I want to do. So I'm like, I will go do chores around the house, time out. Like if we're not having a productive conversation, let's take a time out and let's come back to this. Let's get our head on straight. And so as we were doing that, uh, we came back and we tried to have more of a conversation, but my falsehood had really damaged trust. And she was very upset and rightly so. Even, even to where the point where we went to bed that night, went to church the next morning, and we were like, we still need to come back around to this. And eventually, after I think the third load of laundry, as we were just, I was like, feel like I was just being refined to, okay, what part can I own in this argument? Where can I get the log on my own eye? And she was doing the same. We eventually came to a place of, of healing. And so I just want to say for us, you know, it might not be literally before the sun sets today, but I do believe, I just invite you, is there an area in your life where you feel like you've been harboring anger or maybe falsehood that God is inviting you to go on the journey 
of walking with him in community. And man, it's an adventure. It's a risk, but it is a beautiful thing. And we're made to walk in, in, in health together. Okay, so we're going to put off holding on to anger and bitterness. Going to put on keeping short accounts. And we're going to shut the door on the devil. So the last one, work. It says in verse 20, 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Okay, so this last one's gonna be a little bit shorter than the other ones, but I just wanna highlight when it says to put off, put on, and why we're doing it, it says here that we wanna put off stealing, why? And we wanna put on doing honest work, why? Because of generosity, because we are made to go from being consumers to contributors, or in this case, from being burglars to being benefactors of other people. That's the transformation that the gospel has. And so, you know, it doesn't seem to me like in this example, someone is stealing to survive because it's saying, hey, don't steal any longer, but do honest work as if it's available. And so in another way is saying, hey, let, I'm calling in to check a selfish mindset of you working for your own uh, for your own, uh, for yourself only, but instead working to have a generous spirit. You know, for four years, I've shared this before, but I was in finance and doing a job where, uh, let's just say I was, I could not be less passionate about this job, but in it, I felt like God had me there to learn faithfulness, to learn diligence, and also to appreciate that, hey, even though I'm doing a job that I don't enjoy, I'm actually able to contribute for the first time instead of accumulating student loans. <laughs> I'm able to give to the church. I'm able to pay off student loans. I'm able to actually buy a present for you know, my, my brother or my sister. Does that make sense? And so just wanna encourage you, like it's checking our selfish mindset. It's not just saying don't steal. It's saying, hey, let's work in order to be generous and to share. And, uh, you know, you might think, well, that, that last one doesn't apply to me, but I'll, kind of, I'll end with this story, is several years ago, um, as I was starting on as, as an associate pastor for the church, I, you know, I got to know this new believer. And uh, he was coming to our church. He worked at a coffee shop close by. And we were just going through the Bible, talking about Jesus and getting to know one another. And he was growing in his faith and really enjoyed meeting with this guy. Well, one, one day as we were having lunch, he surprised me. He said, hey, Joe, I, I need to tell you something. And he goes on to share that for the last several months, he had been stealing from his employer. He'd been taking cash out of the cash register and doing whatever he needed to do to cover it up. And I was like sitting there. I think we were at an Italian restaurant, like over garlic bread. And I was just like okay, uh, tell me more. And, and he just said, like, I knew it was wrong, but the more that I, and I was afraid of the consequences. And he said, before I knew it, this little thing that started just a few dollars, it, it's been thousands of dollars. And I'm worried about what to do. What do you think I should do? And so in that, we, we went to the word of God and looked at scriptures like this and and we prayed, what do you think you should do? And he said, I think I should tell the truth. 
And to this guy's credit, he went and he told the truth. He put off falsehood and he told the truth. And he just said, I understand. If you want to press charges, fire me. I deserve that. He said, I also want to say, I want to make amends and I want to pay you back. And I was so proud of this guy and also in awe of like, what is God doing in this, in this 20-year-old's life? And the cool thing was in this circumstance, the employer was also a believer. And so I'm sure they were upset and angry, but they were also part of one body. They're part of the body of Christ. And so the employer looked for an opportunity to give grace. And they said, you know what? That is wrong. And we're going to give you another chance, but your debt is wiped clean. And they were able to show the grace of God. And so this new Christian was like, oh, this is amazing. This is awesome. Like I thought my life was over and man, I'm walking forward and I'm free. The burden is off me. The falsehood is off of me and I'm walking in the grace of God. And uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful story. And so for us, we want to put off stealing and put on honest, hard work. Why? So that we can be generous with others. So I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we close. And I don't, I don't know if there's a, a reason necessarily that God put those three together of honesty, of, of, of anger, and of work. I don't know if it was just, hey, here are three grab bag examples. But as we're reading through the scriptures, I just feel like God is giving us an invitation again to say, God, would you search me and know me? Would you search me? Is there any falsehood? Is there any uh, place of bitterness that I'm holding that I need to go to somebody? Is there any uh, place where I'm working selfishly in my career and I need to just check that and be like, okay, how can I be generous to other people? Because this is the practical way that we walk the way of Christ together. And lastly, uh, as we invite the prayer, uh, the prayer team up here, just ending with that picture of Bo. You know, Bo, uh, I'm so glad that he's here, but I am so looking forward, not just to his birthday and celebrating those, but to all the years to come. And I just feel like the Lord is saying like, you are not an orphan and it has just begun. The journey uh, that you are on is not, uh, is not close to being over, but as we walk it together, that there's good things in store that he has. And your father loves you. Father in heaven loves you. So uh, again, uh, invite the prayer team to come up. Uh, would you stand with me as we respond? So I'm gonna pray and just encourage you, if you need to come up to uh, the front or go to someone and uh, receive prayer, just say, why not? Why not? And just in that process of putting off falsehood, you know, this is a way for us to just be family here together. And if that uh, isn't your response, but it's like, I want to respond to the Lord just to be honest to Him and to pour out your heart to Him or to sing this song to Him, let's do that together. And so Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for your word that's powerful. God, I thank you that we will look different than the world as we follow you. Would you give us the grace and the courage to be able to do it? God, help us to put off falsehood, put on truth. God, we help us to put off bitterness and to put on keeping short accounts. We help us to put off stealing and to put on honest hard work to give to others. In Jesus' name, amen.